If you guys want to open your Bibles to uh, Matthew 26, we're going to continue where we left off last week. We get to look at and be changed by a very important passage. It's important because Jesus packs a lot in. It's also important because as churches have interpreted, the Lord's Supper has had a major impact on the history of the world. Um, But for us this morning, we're not going to dive into all that has happened with different and varying interpretations of what the Lord's Supper is, but we are going to look at what it means for us personally. Jesus and the New Testament left us with two rituals in the church. We have the ritual of baptism, which is really only intended to happen once in your life. Uh, And then we have the ritual of the Lord's Supper, which at harvest you'll take 15 or 20 times every year. So it's important that we understand what is this ritual that we have um, and how are we supposed to pray and think through it. I have been sitting in these chairs many times with the cup and the bread thinking to myself, what, what exactly am I supposed to be thinking right now? And so I want to answer that question or we ha- we're going to let the scriptures answer that question for us this morning. What should I be thinking and praying when I participate in the Lord's Supper? Um, So let me pray, and we'll read the passage and get started. Lord, thank you for this morning, for these people, for this passage, for this moment. Thank you for saving us from our sins by your death on the cross and giving us life eternal, which begins now and will continue on until we are with you again forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, Would you teach us this morning, Spirit, would you... Um, soften our hearts. We come with um, some stubbornness, some pride, um, some anxiety, some fear. We need you to round off all those sharp edges so that we can hear your voice this morning. Give us teachable hearts and humble hearts that we might be changed by an encounter with you in the scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I'll keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, He reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You've said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The big idea this morning is this. Through the supper, Jesus wants his disciples to look backward and forward and to consider our own failures. And I'm taking that right out of the flow of the passage. The first paragraph, 17 through 19, he wants us to look backwards. The second paragraph, 20 through 25, he wants us to consider our own failures. And the last paragraph, 26 through 29, he wants us to look forward. So through the supper, Jesus wants his disciples to look backward and forward and to consider our own failures. So the first point this morning is to look backward at unleavened bread and Passover in verses 17 through 19. Matthew starts this story and he knows it's an important story. And he says, it was the first day of unleavened bread. He wants you to be thinking about these two Jewish festival feasts called Passover and unleavened bread. Passover happens at the beginning and then unleavened bread is a seven day festival which follows Passover. And he wants you to be thinking of those two things. He wants you to be thinking of the story of the Exodus, which in chapter 12, God gives very clear instructions to Israel that on the night before their deliverance from Egypt, on the night before this miraculous salvation for the nation of Israel, he says, I want each family to take a lamb, one year old, unblemished, and sacrifice the lamb at your house. Put the blood on your doorpost and take and roast this lamb over fire. And then you eat it as a family all together. You have to eat it all, and you eat it in the middle of the night, and it has to all be gone before the sun comes up. And he says, I also want you to eat unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The bread was unleavened, meaning it didn't have any yeast, meaning it wasn't going to rise and be fluffy and chewy and delicious like the bread we like to eat every day, but it was going to be a hard, flat bread like a cracker, and you guys have probably had matzah before. Um, it's more like a cracker than it is bread. But the way the bread would be leavened would be to take an old lump or a, a piece of dough from a previous baking and mix that old dough in with the new lump, and it would become leavened and rise and make chewy, delicious bread. But God's command for Israel was that you were not to do that. In fact, they were to get rid of all of the old leaven and start with a fresh lump of dough and water, which wouldn't have any leaven, and therefore it wouldn't rise, and it would make this flat cracker. And so God says to Israel, this is an important image for you, and I want you to eat the unleavened bread along with the lamb and along with the bitter herbs. Deuteronomy 16 calls this unleavened bread the bread of affliction. It marked for them and represented the suffering that they were about to endure, the suffering that had characterized their life as slaves and the suffering that would characterize their life as a new people, even as they are liberated. And so they're liberated from slavery and you expect it to be joyful and celebratory, but God's message for them is that the journey out of slavery, the journey of your liberation is through affliction and hardship. And so this bread symbolized that. So when the faithful Israel had Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread to follow, they remembered that the old bread was left behind. None of the leaven of their life in 
Egypt would go with them, not in their pockets and not in their bellies. It was all left behind, and they only had the new bread that marked suffering and affliction. Now, I've learned that most of you do not like to see the face of the thing that you're eating at supper time. Kate and I were in Africa for a little while, and we used to eat this great dish of grilled fish on rice, and we came back, and we tried to serve our friends a few times, and I learned that Americans don't like to see eyeballs on the kitchen table. (laughs) Nothing with a face is welcome at the American dinner table. (laughs) But for this meal, it explicitly has all of the lamb roasted whole. And so can you imagine the, the emotion and the history and the family history of this lamb on your table for which you are grateful because this lamb represents for you, if you're Jewish, faithful Israelite partaking in Passover, this lamb and the years and years of celebrating this ritual feast represents my family being saved from slavery. This is a meal eaten in the home and my nation rescued from Egypt. So looking your Savior in the eye may be a hard thing to do, but it is a good thing to do. And we should not be repulsed by the face of this saving agent, but we should feel love for it. It's loaded with imagery. The Passover meal, for you who sit here and are familiar with the Christian story, it is loaded with plain imagery of what Jesus would accomplish for us on the cross. John makes it clear that when Jesus is dying on the cross is the same moment when the lambs are being slaughtered at the temple. The imagery is unmistakable. And when you participate in the Lord's Supper, you're being called to upload all of that imagery. You're supposed to be thinking of Egypt, the rescue from bondage. You're supposed to be thinking of the lamb, whose blood was spilt to save a family and a nation. You're supposed to be thinking of this dry, unleavened bread, which represents affliction and hardship. And you're supposed to be thinking that the old was left behind and the new has come, and God is rescuing his people to something new, taking them to the promised land. You are to think of Passover and unleavened bread, and you are to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, and worship the Father for all that he's done, it should lead you to the emotion of love, that you are thankful for this sovereign God who has written this long story throughout the long arc of history that has resulted in your salvation. So when you take the Lord's Supper today, I want you to start by looking backwards and replaying in your mind those images of Passover and the image of unleavened bread, because that's what Jesus and Matthew have asked us to do. Um, Deuteronomy said specifically that the Passover meal was only to be, um, the, the Passover lamb was only to be killed in the place that I appointed, which would become Jerusalem. And so in verse 18, when Jesus says, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. Jesus is making very clear he's following the ceremonial law of Passover. In Jerusalem, in the city, 
in a home with his disciples, which he's already said is his new family. So Jesus thought keeping the Passover was important. So we don't want to lose that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, but you should be thinking of the importance of Passover. The second point this, this morning is, uh, comes from verses 20 through 25, and that is that we are to consider our own failures. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. Now, two other times in Matthew, Jesus has reclined at table in the evening. The first one is at the beginning of his ministry when he is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so the story is that Jesus is reclined at table surrounded by sinners. The second place is last week's passage when the disciples are having dinner and the woman comes and brings this perfume and anoints Jesus' body for burial. And what should have been a beautiful moment of worship actually reveals the sinful heart of all of the disciples because they are all full of some amount of greed and they all say, wait a minute, that money should have spent on something more valuable. And so once again, Jesus is reclined at table surrounded by sinners, but this time it's his disciples who are revealing their sinful hearts. And this is the third one, also surrounded by sinners. As they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And verse 22 is telling of how we're supposed to think about the sentence because what is their response? Um, They were very sorry and began to say to him, one after another, every one of the 12 immediately thought, it might be me. It could be me. I'm fully capable of making this mistake and betraying the Lord. If we didn't have... But just this passage, you might not come to the same conclusion, but Matthew has this pattern of all in one. Um, All the disciples uh, at last week's passage were thinking about money, but but Judas was really thinking about money, and he goes and makes a deal with the religious leaders. And in this one, all the disciples are thinking, it might be me, but then we realize it's really Judas. And then in next week's passage, Jesus says, all of you will fall away, but Peter's really going to fall hard. And so you get a pattern that Matthew has given us to say, when there is an opportunity to think about sin, everybody is supposed to examine their heart. Everybody is capable of this. And certainly at the Last Supper, all the disciples are thinking, is it I, Lord? Could it be me? Is it me? Jesus responds with this question, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Well, that doesn't help. They're all thinking, well, shoot, we're, we're all dipping our hands in the dish with Jesus. Um, my mom played this trick on me one time. I was in middle school. We're sitting at the dinner table. And she said, Tim, do you have something you'd like to tell me? And I was like, oh, man, how could she possibly have heard about that? I mean, I got in trouble at school today. I made a bad choice. How does mom know this stuff? So I spilled the beans I was like, yeah, I made some bad choices, made some bad decisions at school today, I got in trouble, I already talked to the teacher about it. Well, come to find out, my mom didn't know any of that. (laughs) She had just asked a clever question, and I was guilty, so I barked. (laughs) Which, kids, now you know, be on the lookout. (laughs) These moms are tricky. 
all of the disciples immediately think, it could be me. They all have the guilt of knowing they are capable of sin. And so the second point this morning is that as you take the Lord's Supper, part of what you're praying through is, Lord, have I betrayed you? Has my heart had these things that um, I have not demonstrated faith and followed you with all of my heart? Have I had my own betrayal of not trusting you, not loving you, wanting things other than you or wanting things more than you? We are all prone to failure. We are all capable of betrayal. But I want to give a, a little pause there to say, this can easily be overdone. And I've sat in that chair many times during communion and thought, I need to muster up more guilt. Like in order for me to take this bread and the wine, I really need to feel real guilty. And so I might even try to picture Jesus in his worst um, look on the cross, bloody and suffering. And I try to manufacture some type of guilt. I do not believe that is the goal at communion. You're to examine your heart for the sin that's in it. Um, but Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. And so when you take this meal, the idea is that my sin is keeping me from following what God wants me to do. So let me confess and repent and remove my sin if I can by God's grace so that I can go about the task that God has for me, not to make yourself feel as guilty as you can, Okay. Which leads us to the third point, verses 26 through 21. We are to look forward to what Jesus is calling you to. Look forward to what Jesus is calling you to. Now, as they were eating, verse 26 is actually a reset. Matthew's already said that in verse 21. Now, as they were eating, and then you have the story of Judas and his betrayal. And so he's linguistically resetting the story. John tells us that Judas left after this. Matthew doesn't give us that detail, but by telling us now as they were eating, he resets the story. So now what you're expecting is for Jesus, who's the patriarch at the meal, to go through the traditional retelling of the story of Egypt, to go through the traditional question and answer time that the, the children would ask questions of the father, tell us about Israel and how God saved us from slavery. But instead, Jesus has the authority and he tells a new story for them, not about Israel and not about the lamb. He says, Jesus took the bread, but the lamb is on the table. And the opportunity for Jesus to take the lamb and say, look, this is me. My blood is shed. I'm roasted whole. You're forgiven of your sin by my death. I'm going to die for you. And by the means of the lamb, you will all be saved. But he doesn't take the lamb. He takes the bread. Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. Does that ring a bell to any of you? That's the same thing he does when he feeds the 5,000. He took the bread he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples who then distributed the broken bread to the multitudes. The first time he feeds 5,000 and what comes back is 12 baskets of overflow. Just one chapter later in Matthew, he tells the same story and Jesus does the same thing. He took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke it, and he gave it. The disciples then take the bread and feed the 
multitudes, and this time what comes back is seven baskets. The first time, the 12 baskets represent that salvation has gone out to all the Israelites, the 12 tribes of Israel. The second time, seven baskets come back, symbolizing that salvation has gone to all the world. The mission is complete, that all people of all nations have been given the bread of life. And so when Jesus takes the unleavened bread at this ritual meal and he breaks it, he blesses it and breaks it and gives it out, he is saying to them, the bread is part of the new mission that I'm giving you. I am like the bread of affliction. I am broken for you. I am distributed to you. And you then are going to do just like you did for the 5,000, the 4,000. You now are to take this broken bread and take it to the world and feed them the bread of life. But Jesus says, instead of take this bread and go hand it out in the street to the people that need it, he says, take it and eat it. Because the way that Jesus will reach the world is when you and I consume the bread. We participate in the broken life of Jesus. And we ourselves take on this broken, unleavened bread. We now take on the bread of affliction and we now become like our Lord. And we take the message to the world through brokenness and affliction. What Adam and Eve messed up when they took and ate the apple, Jesus now recreates into his new kingdom. He says, take and eat this bread, my body, which really nourishes you, which really will make you like me, not the deception of the serpent in the garden. Jesus is true nourishment. He is the way, the truth, and the life. By eating the bread, you're participating in Jesus's mission to feed the world. Practically, Jesus knew that after this night, there would never be a true Passover meal again. This is the last true Passover meal, pointing to what Jesus would do on the cross, but this was the end. The symbol had no more meaning once Jesus had gone to the cross. The symbol of the Passover lamb was intended for the moment when the Messiah would spill his blood to save the world. And so Jesus was repurposing the meal for the new mission of his church. And he takes the old ritual and it is gone. And he gives the church a new ritual that we call the Lord's Supper. There would be no temple after Jesus was gone, not shortly thereafter, by AD 70. The temple's gone. If there is no temple, you can make no ritual sacrifice. Certainly, eating and roasting a lamb is not something that's going to go as a tradition or ritual around the world. So Jesus is giving his church a very simple and practical new meal to replace Passover. It's not going to happen once a year. It's going to happen every week. And it's not done with a grilled lamb. It's done with bread, something even the poorest people in the world can acquire and celebrate and commemorate the death of our Lord. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. Now we get two clues from Matthew, what Jesus is thinking about with the cup. In Matthew 20, James and John come to Jesus and they say, actually their mother says, 
can, can my boys sit at your right hand um, in the kingdom? Can they be your right hand men? And Jesus says to them, do you remember what he says? He says, can you drink the cup that I have to drink? He says, actually, you will drink the cup, but I can't give you the seat at the right hand. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus uses the same language when he says, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, please do. So the cup, in Jesus' mind, is the cup of suffering. If the blood, if the wine in the cup is the blood of Jesus' death, then the cup itself is his suffering and his death. And guys, I wish it were different. I wish that entering into God's new kingdom came with um, palm branches and grapes and, as Mike likes to say, a hammock. <laughs> but it doesn't. Jesus said, when you enter into this new kingdom, the meal that I'm giving you to commemorate is broken unleavened bread and a cup of suffering. And that's how we enter God's kingdom. Now, it is the covenant, it is, it is the cup of uh, the new covenant for the forgiveness of sin. So you want to drink the cup. You and I need to drink from the cup that Jesus is offering because through that cup is the new covenant of being in relationship with him and being his family and being called to live with him forever joining his mission and his kingdom. So you want to drink the cup. But you must also know that what you're drinking is a cup of suffering and death, and you're eating the bread of affliction that is broken. Jesus has called us to follow in his footsteps. And the way that he chose to show the world that God loves you is through his suffering and his humility and his brokenness, and eventually his death. And that's what we're called to. It is the way God has chosen to show his love to the world. And we get to participate in that. Now, Jesus says in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And I believe he is thinking of Zechariah 8. Let's see if I can get there real fast. Um, Zechariah 8 talks about the fruit of the vine being drunk in the kingdom. And the, the language of Zechariah 8 is so cool. I'm going to read you just a couple verses. Verses 12 and 13. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord, for there shall be a sowing of peace. Does that sound like something you want to be a part of? The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah, O house of Israel, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Verse 23 at the end of that chapter says, Thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And that is the thing to which you are called. Yes, we may drink the cup of suffering. Yes, we may eat and become participants with the broken, unleavened bread. 
But what he has called us to is to take and feed the world, that the world might come to you, your coworkers, your friends, your family, and they might say, may we go with you because it is clear to us that God is with you. So it is worth it, friends, to follow Jesus into the brokenness and the suffering that he calls us to. So when we partake in the Lord's Supper in just a minute, and band, you can come on up and get ready for that. Um, Think forward to what Jesus is calling you to do. He's calling you to feed the world with love. He's calling you to emulate his humility so that the world can see it in your life and that they would see that God is with you and that they might come to you and say, we want to go with you because we see that God is with you. Even though your life is full of brokenness, even though you endure suffering, you do it with the joy and hope and life and peace that Jesus offers us. So look forward to the meal that you'll have with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. The Lord's Supper must end in joy, not somberness, not sadness. It ends in the hope that is, the day is coming when you will drink the cup with Jesus again in his kingdom. So you guys can grab your communion cups. You can go ahead and start wrestling with that top layer of plastic. Takes a minute sometimes, that's okay. And I want to guide us today through praying through the bread and the cup. Um, We don't often do this, but I think I'll take a moment to do this now. And 1 Corinthians, when Paul is teaching the church about this meal, he gives a warning. The warning is to be careful about this meal. This meal means a lot. It means you're identifying with Jesus in suffering, in brokenness. You're identifying with his death. You are participating in his death. You are following in him into death. A spiritual death for sure. And so there's a warning. Don't take this unworthily. What that means is if you're still on your journey of figuring out who Jesus is and if you are sure you're following him, you should just pray today but not partake. You should just think through what God has done and what God is doing. And this meal is for those that have no doubt in their mind they are partaking in the brokenness and the suffering of Jesus but you're welcome to take it. Let me pray with you, walk you through this. Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach the table that you gave us with this symbolic meal um, of bread and wine, we look backwards and we thank you for all that you have done. You spoke the world into existence. You gave us life. We turned away from you. And then you called Abraham and his family to follow you in faith and obedience. And then you rescued them. You rescued them from Israel. You rescued them from slavery. You brought them to the promised land. You gave them a set of laws and rituals that would help them see that you were coming in Messiah to save them. We look backwards, God, and we thank you for all that you've done through all of time to give us a story that we could understand to give us a Savior who would come and rescue us. 
We thank you for the imagery of the Paschal Lamb whose blood was shed to protect a family and to save them from death. And Jesus' blood who cleanses us and saves us from his death. Thank you. We worship you. And it causes us, Lord, when we think how good you are, we can't help but think about our own failures and shortcomings. Lord, have I betrayed you this week? Have I failed you in the moments of my day? Have I come up short, not trusted you? I've used my tongue in ways that hurt other people. I've believed things that are not true. I've been greedy. I've been selfish. I've been proud. I've been stubborn. I've not prioritized you above other things. God, would you show me the sin that is getting in the way of me following you on mission? I recognize it. it. It cost him. His life was broken to save me. And as I eat it, I'm taking on that same brokenness. You've called me to something new. The old leaven is left behind, and you've called me to a new life. Like unleavened bread, I'll be broken like Jesus. I'll suffer. Lord, I drink the cup, knowing that I'm drinking a cup of suffering and a, a cup of death, but... Lord, in so doing, I get the joy of caring about in my body the life of Jesus, the new wine of the Spirit, and that I go take it to a lost and dying and hurting world that needs you so desperately. So, Lord, make me on mission. Open my eyes to see who needs this living bread. Open my ears that I can hear your voice in prayer and I can pray through my day and my week and the people around me so that I am inaugurating the new kingdom all around me every day.